Welcome to the RGG EDU podcast, where they talk a little photography and drink a lot of whiskey. Season three of the RGG EDU podcast is brought to you by Smug Mug. Yeah, they got a ridiculous grin and the name is funny, but Smug Mug is serious about photography. If you're ready to upgrade your photo game online, get your ass over to SmugMug.com to see where the pros are storing, showing, and selling their images. In this episode, we're joined with Dave Black, Rob Grimm, and of course, Renee Robin. We're all here. Good morning. So, Dave, thank you for joining us. We're kind of at the end of the, the um, exposition week. I'm sure you've been teaching. I'm sure you're worn out. So we appreciate you joining us. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on the show here, and uh, it's been a good week. So Awesome. Yeah. For our audience who might not know you and your work, can you kind of give us a rundown of who you are? Give a little definition about uh, Dave Black. Sure. Uh, me and the boys have been in the band for a while now. And <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> that was pretty good. That was really good. I liked it. Was that uh, your, was that the Paul? Are you Paul in the, of the group? Uh, yeah, well, probably, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Sounded like Paul. He, he was cute. I'm not, so I kind of run with the cute guy. Um, Renee, those are the Beatles. That we're talking about the Beatles. Damn it, the troll continues. <laughs> Couldn't believe that. It's 1962. Um, well, I've been a freelance photographer for, yike, since 1980. 1980. Yeah. Let me just set my walker over here. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I'm with you, uh, Yeah, mostly in the sports uh, category um, and, you know, photojournalism. So I was working for magazines and so forth, um, covering, you know, professional sports, you know, across America. But mostly people would probably recognize my Olympic photography. So my travel schedule is more like international scene. It would be world championships and world cup and, you know, international events, uh, and all the Olympic disciplines, both summer and winter. I ended up, uh, finally doing 12, uh, Olympic games, yeah. six summer, six winter, 12 wow. in a row. And, um, it was just really, really exciting career. A lot of it was for Newsweek magazine, but I worked for the U S Olympic committee quite a bit. And all the different uh, sports groups, you know, each sport has a federation or an association right. that runs, you know, the whole show for them. And so I would, you know, clients were like USA Swimming, USA Boxing, um, USA Gymnastics, et cetera, et cetera, track and field. You would do all their international events and national championships prior to the Olympic Games. Um, I worked for the U.S. ski team for a long time long time, you know, covering ski events and stuff. So I ski quite a bit. I'm from Colorado. Oh, nice. So uh, nice. it's always kind of nice to ski with a backpack of 50 pounds on your <laughs> back full of all the expensive gear, you know. Um, but I think more lately, and uh, my last Olympics was actually 2006. That was the Winter Games in Torino, Italy. And uh, I just felt a, uh, that it was time to sort of make a shift. Mm -hmm. And I had been doing a lot of lighting uh, right kind of from the mid 80s late 80s um it was required then um by sports illustrated and so forth you know we would light arenas you know to do basketball mm -hmm. games light arenas to do hockey games and so forth and um so lighting was always in the mix although you know i wasn't known for my portraiture the way someone right. like joe mcnally might be it was more i would light the whole place up and you know and then be shooting action and that sort of thing just uh led into more and more lighting which is what i do now I don't usually cover events any longer. Once in a while, maybe two, three times a year, I'll, I'll still do like a, I'll go do like a football game, a playoff game, you know, something like that. But I take athletes out and we do um, special photographs of them for their companies that 
they represent or the gear that they use, you know, like uh, wakeboarders or something like that. You know, maybe it's a ad campaign for a new wakeboard that's coming out or something. And so I'll end up, okay, here come the athletes, which of course are like top athletes. And we put lighting, you know, equipment on one boat. I'm on another boat. They're actually performing on a third boat. You right. know, and so you have a lighting scenario that's like a studio. Except you're, it's you know, moving along the water. Moving along the water, exactly. Do you have any Olympics that really stand out as your favorite or the the, the best photography you got? Yeah, you know, it's a, that's a very uh, often asked question. You know, I would have to say 1984 was my first Summer Olympics. That was my first Olympics, and Mary Lou Retton was a key athlete in mm -hmm. those Olympics. For those that don't remember, she won the gold medal uh, in all around in gymnastics, the first for the United States um, to ever have a gold medal in gymnastics. Um, gosh, you know, the winter games in uh, Norway were fantastic. People were so nice. I mean, it was so great. And it was also like the biggest story of all because that was uh, Nancy Kerrigan and Tanya oh, yeah. Harding. I remember you know, that which, very, very well. Oh, God, everybody remembers that. <laughs> one, you know? And uh, so that was a huge, huge, huge media thing, you know, and something that, uh, you know, which a lot of the media kind of bemoaned the whole thing like, oh, man, this is like a soap opera. Why are we doing this, you know? And I said, really? Because it's the first of its kind. You yeah. know, in, in the modern day of the Olympics, it's the, you know, that, you know, an athlete was sort of, you know, targeted to get sort taken of targeted, out. Yeah, know? completely targeted. <laughs> yeah. It was a billy yeah. club. Exactly. Yeah. And so it, to me, it was like big news. And um, all the Olympics I did I actually worked for Newsweek. I did that for Newsweek, um, but then worked for any other sport magazine and so forth that kind of came down. So that's sort of the background. Did you have a particular... Um, sport or athletes that you really gravitated towards photographing was just something you enjoyed over others yeah, yeah. gymnasts definitely no no, no. <laughs> yeah a lot of gymnastics of course a lot of really yeah. good friends in gymnastics um michelle kwan yeah she was absolutely uh, my favorite athlete um I, first time i photographed her she was 11 years old um and I honestly did not know exactly who she was. I just heard her name sort of circulate around in the figure what sport skating was she? industry. Figure skating. Fig okay, that's yeah, Figure skating. And she's the most decorated uh, figure skater, I believe, in the world. And I could be wrong. I know it's certainly in the U.S. She has won more than any U.S. Uh, figure skater. But I'll bet if you, you know, if you tally up her national titles, her world titles, and the fact that she has, you know, two Olympic medals, I'm not sure any foreign athlete has that many uh can tally up that many championships right. so she's probably the best maybe ever i don't know that's a good question figure skaters are amazing i i had mm -hmm. an opportunity for many years in the early part of my career i was going to europe to photograph figure skating events oh. and the sheer power of those athletes i and there's something something that kind of happens i think at least in my brain when i was watching them and they'd be skating across and then transferring all that energy up into this crazy yeah. twirl and then landing again. They're, they're such powerful people, and you don't realize it. Uh, you certainly don't get that sense on television. You no. know, if you're watching it on the little screen, you have no idea just how fast they are moving. They are really booking yeah. across the ice. Yeah, they're all like, it's yeah. a challenge. It's it really is great, yeah. And it was an exciting era. I think, you know, for me, you know, it started with – Battle of the Bryans, that was yeah, in oh, yeah. 19, 1988 yeah. at the Winter Games in Calgary, yeah. and that's the triple axle was a big deal. And by yeah. the time I was finishing, people were doing quad axles in combination. Just to see where the sport had gone was pretty, pretty remarkable. Yeah, it's amazing when yeah. when someone lands something in a sport, everybody else has to hit that mark and then surpass it. Mm -hmm. 
it just it can really propel the sport quite quickly. Yeah, like the X Games recently. Have you like the amount of flips that they're doing now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's oh. insanity. Yeah, it's just like, wow, <laughs> yeah, when is this ever going like, <laughs> to... We have to get to a certain point where it's like, okay, we can't really get any better, right? But or we, just gonna we keep... said that Maybe. at some point, though, you know, about running running a mile under a certain period of time, and then that got broken. I the, mean, the when it comes to, like, biohacking and, I mean, all this stuff that's coming out with science and bodies, I'd be surprised. I mean, I think... I don't know. I'm super interested. Yeah, I guess guys, just I'm gonna, super yeah. interested in, in that, like that they're world. Just that's because you want the ramps a, bigger. You know, she wants to be a cyborg. There's no doubt. Well, let's just, let's she just might. Say, right? She <laughs> might be a cyborg. What are you talking about? I'm already beta version 1.0, just like you, Rob. So, <laughs> but I mean, like really, with this with sports, I think that'll be so interesting. Just like because of all the science that come up with nutrition and, and mindset and just the way that people think. Um, you know, that's yeah. We always right. think that we're going to hit that limit, and we think we hit it in the 60s, and we think we hit it in the you know 1500s, and then we just keep going. That's a really good point. You know, I mean, it's kind of like you know when Jim Ryan breaks the four-minute mile. Um, I don't know when that was. 19. I can't remember. University University of Kansas. Jim Ryan breaks the four-minute mile, and it's just like you know he's like practically running in sneakers. You know, I mean, kind of thing. Right. Just think of how the shoe has evolved now. Oh yeah. You know, just something as simple. That was as probably that. it was seventies, wasn't it? I think it was seventy. Yeah, early seventies. Yeah, seventy-two. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's that same thing. It's not not only is the athlete maybe better conditioned and so forth. But the equipment they have is so much different. I mean, sixty-four. Wow, 64. Right. There you go. Right. Rich Clarkson would have been the photographer, actually, that was most famous for shooting Jim Ryan, okay. photographing him. So, yeah. twelve Olympic Games. You know, um, I'm really curious about that schedule. That that's kind of a brutal <laughs> schedule on your life. It is um, moving around, and so I'm curious how you kind of maintain balance with that much travel in your life, and also getting in and out of those facilities. How hard is it to? Um, to manage your job, to do your career when you, you know, the Olympics is a circus. The number of people that are around and the security and the athletes and the logistics, how do you deal with all of that? Yeah, you know, the balance, I think, just in, in a career in general, you know, I would attribute to my wife pretty much. You know, she's the one she's that's patient. sort of, yeah, she's very, very, very patient. <laughs> yeah. And she keeps, you know, look at my calendar. She always, let's see what's on your calendar coming up. Right. You know, so she can find where there's a break that's necessary, you know, because I'll just keep going and going and going and going, you know, right. which a lot of photographers do. Um, I think that's just what happens in anybody who has something that they're extremely passionate about. You sure. know, they just keep going. And so it, it's good to have that kind of balance. Um, I also ran uh, all through those years of doing the Olympic Games. So from like 1980 to, you know, basically, I'd say 2008 or so, um, I would run my own stock agency as well. You know, stock agency that'd be like getty getty is a stock agency okay they picture agency you can purchase there but i was a picture agency for all of those years and so um and i've always just been a single entity no Mm -hmm. one else works in the office just me so i would go out for two weeks like track and field championships in melbourne australia come back and i'd be home for two weeks of course farming out those pictures getting those images out to the clients and whatever that might be Okay, time to go to the World Figure Skating Championships in Montreal, up to Montreal. So I would alternate back and forth between two weeks in, two weeks out, two weeks in, two weeks out. And it was it was great. You know, and I I must add, married, have a daughter. She's now 29. She is a photographer. Oh, good. And she would tell she would tell anybody or everybody. She said my dad was around more than almost any of my friends' fathers. 
Yeah. And I thought, now, how can that possibly, and what a nice thing for her to say, right. you know, and I've always felt like, gosh, maybe I was gone too much. No, she just the opposite. She said, when you were home, you were you home. Were home. <laughs> you know? right. And it was okay. I knew you had to go away, you know, and that's how you get made your living. And then you came back, you were back for two weeks. And there <laughs> you were, you know, and you were all mine for two weeks, you know. Yeah, right? that's so, good. So, makes, makes me feel a little less guilty. What's that? Makes me feel a little less guilty. Yeah, no kidding. We're on the road a lot. Yeah, I so, imagine. I'm interested to hear about the transition at the Olympics when it was going from film to digital. Did you huh. see like the transition, like half the guys and girls, you know, picked it up and didn't. And what was that like? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good story. How much time you got? We got a lot of time. <laughs> oh, yeah, let's, let's get into let's it. Let's hear it. Okay. I'm going to be really frank here. This will probably ruffle a few feathers. Good. good. Controversy. Listen to you people. We like yeah. shows we real like good for that. Yeah. <laughs> Typical media. Stirring <laughs> it up. You know. uh, <laughs> I, um, I worked very closely with Kodak uh, and, and Nikon, for that matter. I'm yeah. an Nikon ambassador uh, as we speak now. Mm -hmm. um, those were two companies that I worked very closely with. Um, and so I was making a film test. It was 1999. 1999. 1999 and I was making a film test for Kodak for the 2000 Olympics usually they you are testing out products and testing out film testing out new cameras are debuted usually going into Olympic Games you want to know when a, a, a new version of a camera is coming out just it's going to show up at the Olympics mm -hmm. you know and the media will get them usually first you kind of put them through a lot of paces you know? sure and so I had a, a a chemist uh, came out from Kodak, and he brings the film emulsions, right? So it's like 10 film emulsions. Here's this new film, but there's different emulsions, and we're going to test all these film emulsions. So, well, let's do it on some figure skating. You know, there's like a World Cup event kind of going on, and they do the compulsory. We can photograph the exact same skill or maneuver that they're doing on the ice with every time, yeah. so that they all look the same, but with the different emulsions, then you can decide which one you think is going to work best. It was a high-speed film. So out comes the chemist. We're sitting in the photo well, We're photographing, photographing. Here they come, here they come, changing emulsion films. And I said, you know, I could really, you know, it's been a while. I could use something to drink. Could you, would you mind getting me a Coke or something like that? God, I've got out he goes to get the Coke. Right. Out of the bag comes a beta, you know, Nikon D1 you know, <laughs> camera, you know. Competitor comes up, click, 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 click. Put that away. Right. Okay. Back to the emulsions. <laughs> shooting the emulsions. Shooting the emulsion, right? You sneak in a digital camera. Because I was very curious. I wanted to see yeah. how this was going to look. You know, what's the comparison? Because this is maybe something. We go to the lab next day. You know, they're making out prints over here, you know, from the all the, you know, negatives, you know, that we're shooting. And a friend of mine who worked at the lab, I said, make me a print. Make me an 8x10 from this digital file. Let's so see it. Comes into the, you know, office. Here, all the prints all lined up on the wall. You know, chemist comes in, looks at them all, walks right over, grabs one print out of the ten, and said, "This is it. This is emulsion number, you know, five, six, seven, eight. You know, if this is, it looks the best. This is great." And I took it, turned it around, and on the back side, said Nikon D1. And I've never seen someone's face drop. So quickly. I mean, it was, I, I literally like put a dagger through his heart. Yeah. You know, he pooped himself, didn't he? He just, and then he just looked and I, and I just, uh, you know, I'll just, I won't even say his name. I'll just say Bob, Bob. Yeah. I said, this is not 
Angelica, and I'm sorry to do this to you, but I said it. Yeah, I'm as stunned as you are, quite honestly, right. you know, because I didn't know I didn't know what the results were, but I just knew that it was coming. I knew digital was coming and I wanted to see. And there was no question in my mind that that, that was sort of the route to go. Yeah. So I made the change over in 1999, just prior to the 2000 games, which were uh, in Australia. I had a D1. Mm-hmm. I, I found those files a, a little rough. I mean, they were early, right? But they, oh, well, they were, yeah, but they, they were, were red. Did you did you find that too, or what were you guys working with you know, challenge-wise on that camera? That's a really good question. Um, let me finish with this part. Sure. Okay. So now I have the D1. Yeah. I didn't do much for Kodak after that. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't call you back. <laughs> to put it mildly, that was. Kind of the end of the association there, you know. But, funny. Um, but not necessarily because I'd done something wrong, but because right. of what was transpiring. Right. I was no longer using film. Um, I did a photo shoot uh, with uh, George Foreman's daughter, like some weeks later, Frida Foreman, mm-hmm. and she was doing a title bout against uh, Ali's daughter. You know, mm-hmm. anyway, it was coming up. I shot half of it on film half of it on digital, the D1. In other words, I would take the exact same portrait, click, 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 here's a portrait, put down the film, pick up the digital, click, 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 exact same pictures, mm-hmm. just alternating back and forth. Everything used in the magazine was, was all digital. D1. was all digital. How many people did, what was the percentage of the people that had, had made the, the switch? Were you on the very front of yes. the switching? Yeah. When I got to, um, uh, so we'll fast forward <laughs> to the 100-meter uh, finals with Marion Jones. Uh, um, in Sydney uh, at the Olympics. And there's 300 photographers that are going to photograph the finish line, roughly. A six, 680, I think, were credentialed to photograph the, the Sydney Games. Uh, I'd say 350 of them are at the, the women's finals. I think the women's finals is even a stronger turnout maybe than the men's, quite honestly. Um, and so I chose an, uh, an, an, an upper deck to look, you know, straight on, and there's, mm-hmm. you name it, they're all up there. You know, there's, you know, Heinz Klutmeyer, you know, Walter Yost, you know. There's, Heavy hitters. All the, everyone's up there. Yeah. And the news has spread that I'm going to be shooting digital the entire games. And I walk in, and it's like, I'm like Benedict Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Dirty I'm, looks. My friends, and it's just like traitor. exactly that is exactly true and you know they weren't angry but they were just you know kind of name calling and stuff in fact one of them well shall remain nameless just goes yo digital dave are you gonna photoshop the moon in over you know like marion jones's head you know as she like comes across the finish line you know so the which was a very interesting thing to say because it's equating digital with manipulation right Trickery. It's, yeah. now, it's now false. That's, it's not real in their mind. That's how it was viewed. And yeah. I said, you know, guys, I'm telling you right now, we're, we're all going to be singing from the same choir very soon. So get ready. Yeah. <laughs> but roughly, I was two years ahead. Now, keep in mind that newspapers and Associated Press were already doing digital, like some years earlier than that. But the quality required for the newspaper is different than the quality of an image required for magazine which is also different than the quality, greater quality required for an advertisement or something like that, a billboard. So that's how that was all sort of coming down. We had 
basically Newsweek had a two-year head start. I was teaching, you know, working with the editors, you know, here's how you're going to move the files along. I spent half my time shooting, but the other half my time was sort of educating them through the, the whole idea. Yeah, so it, it, they were very, very new to it. They had done very, very little digital. That is Newsweek. Mm-hmm. And as far as magazines go, I'm, there was probably somebody else, but I sure didn't know who they were. Wow, so you were that. on the cutting edge. How did you hear the, the transfer of files? I mean, we're still talking dial-up at this point. Now you have this new medium where you can get something out fast, right? Um, How did all those files get back to Newsweek? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that. <laughs> <laughs> before going to Melbourne, we did – there's setups that you do before going to the Olympics or really any big event, whether it's a World Series or a Super Bowl or something. You do like a preview, you know, issues. And so there were athletes that I was uh, going and doing uh, preview pictures of, you know, stories on to get ready that would be in the preview issue for Newsweek, you know, going into Sydney. And um, I shot them all on digital. I used a Mark III laser graphic film recorder. It's been a long time now. I had to remember what it was called, a Mark III laser graphic film recorder. I transferred the digital files to film. And I turned them in. Wow. So you had to still use the old method of turning in the the film and having it shipped out. Now, I want you to know um, that was not required by Newsweek. They just said turn in the best work possible, best quality possible. They didn't know I was shooting digital. So when I got to Mel- yeah, they didn't I, know you were shooting. That's right. So when I got to Sydney, you were like Benedict Arnold. I was, yeah. <laughs> so when I got to Sydney, you know, the photographers, there's like six photographers and the writers and everything were in the office and they go, well, has anyone been doing anything on digital? I raise my hand and I look around. It's like the only hand in the air. And Kelly Grant, the editor, photo editor just goes, you've been doing some digital. I go, yeah, yeah, quite a bit. How long? I go, well, about a year now, you know, almost, almost, not quite, you know, probably eight months. Do you have any examples? <laughs> so I just reached over to the desk and I grabbed a copy of the preview issue for the Olympics and I just opened it up to a two-page spread. And she goes, no, 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 we, you sent us film on that. I go, yeah, here's how that kind of came about. <laughs> and what's remarkable is that she, when they got the film, every time I'd come back from the thing and they'd get the, the film, which was actually digital. So right. basically they have a duplicate. They have a digital right. duplicate transparency color transparency they'd go these look remarkable the color it's so vibrant these are beautiful and it's an indoor venue and it's not even strobed it just looks gorgeous what is it the film i go yeah because mm-hmm. it's, it's the film because it is and i wasn't trying to hoodwink anybody don't get me wrong they just said produce the very best quality i could and i knew that that was the way to produce the quality if i had said digital i think they would have gone mm mm-mm Quality's not there yet. It's not yeah, good enough. I remember the atmosphere. Remember that? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Very, very it was, touchy. It was, it was touchy. Yeah. A lot of people were... There were photographers that were early to adopt. Files are rough, though, and not mm-hmm. everybody knew how to manage a file, how to deliver a file. Mm-hmm. Um, and some photographers went out of business because they delivered yeah. crappy files to their clients, mm-hmm. and it, it wasn't a good thing. So, yeah. And other photographers were purists. I mean, we were like, mm, I'm mm-hmm. going to wait yeah to get in i always wondered about that like the tradition or tradition the transition from film to digital because i mean like how fast were the lenses in i'm assuming the lenses you couldn't go back and forth between film and digital could you oh yeah you could yeah could you i mean manual focus then 
Uh, well, there's autofocus. Was, there was yeah, autofocus. Yeah, this this autofocus. is an ignorant young person here. Mm-hmm. No, no. <laughs> Those are good questions because, yeah. you, you know, you assume that, like, oh, autofocus has been around forever and ever, and I'd say no. Oh, it know? hasn't been. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. so it's like, you know, you know, what was the right speed of, like, frames per second that you could photograph at when you were going from digital to film? Like, was that comparable between the two? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I can't remember what the, the D1 or D1X, I can't remember how many frames per second they were. I'm going to guess they were probably in the six category. It's <laughs> been a long time. I really yeah, don't I remember. And of course, Nikon had a high speed, you know, an F3 high speed, you know, that would do, I think, 15 frames a second, which a lot of people used in, in, in uh, ski events. That's the thing. If you're photographing yeah. sports and you're going to digital, and you're mm-hmm. if you're cutting in half your frames per second, right. that's a big risk. You'll also keep in mind that a lot of my work Prior to that, a lot of it was done on strobe, which is just one shot. You know, it's like basketball game flash. You know, we'd light the arena, bang, you know, the strobes would go off. So I was very accustomed to getting the picture, the moment, whatever you want to call it, you know, in one shot rather than a burst of, you know, six or eight or ten or something, which I still kind of shoot that way. I've never been – like at a football game, I've never been one to just sort of let 15 and 20 frames ring out. You know, it's just I'm like – click. Click, click, click. I know I pick it off. Now, if there's a fumble, click, 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 you know, because people right. are scrambling trying to pick it up. So then you have all these frames that you can use. But I'm not one to just sort of drill away. I'm very uh, deliberate. What I are guess. you using to light an arena? What is yeah. that like? Uh, That's a fun one. Yeah, well, yeah. Most of our audience will not know anything about this. Right. I wanted to talk yeah. about that, too. I've, I've lit one, and it's it's intense. Right. First of all, you're like, why are we lighting an arena in the first place? And that's because <laughs> the highest ISO we had was like maybe 1,600 ISO. Mm-hmm. Of course, today maybe. we go to 6,000 ISO. Right. So the requirement of having strobes uh, to produce quality is not, not that necessary. Today I still strobe things because I want to create a particular Dramatic. mood yeah. and drama in the picture. So I'll light, I will light a basketball game, but I won't shower light all over the arena. Yeah. The lights are traditionally put in the catwalk system that's above the competitive floor. Um, SI usually has people that come in and install the lights. I would install all my own. I had no assistance at the time. Um, I was a freelancer, but I was trying to produce work. And, and I think was producing work, you know, that was at the same level as SI. That's why SI started using me to do some things as well. I was never a permanent, like, contract photographer with SI. I don't want anyone to mistake that. But I would get contracted out to do a number of things for them, you know. And part of it was because I had my own <laughs> lighting company, so to speak, that was me. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, they're installed. Uh, Ellen Crom is what I used. Ellen Crom, I think, was one of the first um, very short or quick flash duration strobes other than like the speedotron the speedotron would have been the the, the explodotron yeah exactly yeah. exactly <laughs> I was say that actually. and they wait and they wait a ton oh, the you know they wait a lot oh. and trying to get those into a catwalk especially if you had to like go up a ladder thing or something to get into the catwalk and stuff it was very very difficult and then ellen crom in like 1987 maybe came out with a thousand r it was called a thousand r rapid recycle you know and it um it was a mono unit very very similar to the pro photo b1 very similar in fact that's what i use today is the pro photo b1 because they're almost identical um pro photo is a 500 watt second the thousand hours were of course a thousand watts so you had a little bit more you know bang for your buck so to speak um but today we have the luxury of high speed sync which allows us to combine the ambient light of say the arena or the ambient sunshine outside if we want and then 
combine it with Flash. And that's what I do today. That's all the commercial work that I do today. So since like 2006, I started doing more and more commercial shoot. So like today, I take athletes out, but it's on a one-to-one -one basis sort of. Or we recreate uh, some kind of scene. And then my abilities or my experiences, um, you know, throughout uh, a lot of sport and like track and field, I'll just use track and field as an example. And we need a, you know, it's a visa. We need a picture of the start of the men's hundred meters, you know, like for the Olympics. Well, to use commercial footage, you know, commercial images from the Olympic Games is very, very expensive. It's mm -hmm. and, and, and so today you just restage it, you recreate it. And so my experiences makes it easier for me, or at least I'm an expert, so to speak, in that field to say, okay, here's what it's going to look like exactly from this point of view. Here's how the athletes, these are the countries usually represented. These are the colors of the uniforms usually represented. And over here, you've got this person. Here's the guy holding a, the gun, you know, here's the start gun. Here's people, you know, officials here and all is there. Who, you know, how does the scene look so that it looks real? And because I had that experience, I could recreate those kinds of scenes. And so sometimes I would do something very elaborate. But the thing I like to do the most is just work on my own without, you know, a whole bunch of people telling me what to do because <laughs> I'm the photographer. <laughs> you said it was really expensive to use that footage. Who is dictating the price for using Olympic footage? It would be like ABC, you know, okay. and NBC, CBS, you know, whoever. So whoever the Olympics, sent so. you there. Were there any photographers there mm -hmm. on their own that could get in? Or they, you got to be with a big oh, yeah. You have to be with someone. Yeah, 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 yeah. So my, you know, credential, you know, you know Newsweek or whatever uh, would be. And actually, to be more precise, because I did so much work for the U.S. Olympic Committee, my credential actually came uh, independently through the Olympic Committee, of which then Newsweek would would hire me. Um, that's actually how it worked. And in some cases, it worked. I was an agency. You know, I would yeah, uh, yeah, hiring yeah. me would be like uh, would be like hiring you know, Getty, gotcha. except I was a single entity. Right. Now today, Getty has like a vast, you know, stable, so to speak of like great, great sports photographers. You know, they don't get farmed out independently. They just go, well, we let's have Getty because they're the official photographer, the international Olympic committee anyway. So here they all come. Um, I think uh, to be a freelancer, uh, you have to be accredited through some publication or organization Um you can't be like a website yeah. uh, type thing. Maybe if it's like a... Do you think you can today by the standards of, let's say I have a massive following for whatever that is? You think they'll start letting people like that in? I, oh, I, social media? It already has. I mean, at the okay. start it has. Then they sort of throttled back on it a little bit because I think they just sort of... A lot of randomness was sort of going on. And I think people who were maybe not uh, not qualified is maybe a way to put yeah. it. You know, they just didn't have the experience necessarily. Um, and maybe, you know, I think, I think, and I'm, I'm not a member of the Olympic Committee or the International Olympic Committee. I'm just telling you kind of yeah. in general how it goes. But you have to be, you know, and it's surprising where you might actually find that magazine because let's say there's, you work for, let's say you're a freelance photographer and you live in Des Moines. Iowa, you know, it's like, well, what are my chances to ever cover the Olympic Games? Well, you might be surprised because there might be four or five Olympians you coming, know, from Des Moines. coming from Des Moines or the Des Moines area or just Iowa, you know, or whatever. And you just go, well, you know, Iowa Monthly Magazine, you know, would like to follow our athletes, our Iowa athletes uh, at the real games, you know, or whatever. And you'd be surprised because they may say that is totally 
right in the ballpark, right? Legit, you know, and everything. Who do you work for usually? Well, I work for the Des Moines County Register, newspaper. I work for this. I work for the magazine, whatever. Um, so the Des Moines or the Iowa Monthly Magazine, you know, puts your name on the credential application, and then you go cover for the Iowa Monthly Magazine, and you can be there. And I've run into, you know, photographers from any country that that, that have that. Individual sports federations like USA Gymnastics, they will have a photographer there covering the games for their federation. So you might be saying, gee, well, you know, maybe I could be the, you know, USA swimming photographer, you know. But that comes with a kind of a history that's probably going to precede that, that you have worked for USA Swimming for several years, that you have covered all these international events for USA Swimming, mm-hmm. that you, and so you, that's what I mean when I say qualified. It doesn't mean that somebody doesn't have a right to be there maybe because they have a big readership, but it's sort of like how many, you know, how are you going to get pictures out? Are you going to, are you going to help further the Olympic movement? Are you going to be responsible a responsible photojournalist, right. you know, or are you going to crash through barriers and try and try and get, you know, uh, too close and not even know the protocol, so to speak, that's there. Right. So I, I mean, I think that's probably why I think they kind of, a lot of website, you know, people started ending up rinkside and courtside and stuff all of a sudden, and they had never been there before. And they were a little, you know, a little more freewheeling, <laughs> so to speak, you yeah. know, a little, little rogue. And then I think, I knew, then I noticed at another Olympics, like, well, where'd they all go? <laughs> you know, they're not here anymore. What yeah. happened to them? You know, and then it's like, and then you realized that others started coming in the next time around, and you just realized these folks are, you know, professionals, right on the money, spot on as far as their etiquette and protocol and their conscientious, re- you know, reporting and, and, and taking the pictures. They're not in there trying to do something else. So well, when you have a, a group of 600 some odd credentialed um, journalists mm-hmm. at the Olympics, What's the community like amongst you guys? Is it, I, I know you were a pariah for a little while when you came in, or Digital Dave, the you know Benedict <laughs> Arnold. But overall, what's the community like with guys like Walter? Are you guys bonding and like p- pushing the whole sport forward, or are you staking out your territory and a little competitive? It's extremely competitive, but there's yeah. obviously a camaraderie that goes along with it. You know, you yeah. want to get the cover, you want to get the picture, you want to have the best position, etc. You know. But at the same time, and, and that's just goes individual attitude as well. In my opinion, there's always room for one more photographer to squeeze in. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're in a small area. It's big enough for like four people and you've got like 30 people in it, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, you know, there's always room for more because that person has to get a picture for his editor and his magazine or his newspaper or whoever he's working for mm-hmm. as well. Um, not everybody thinks that way, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it's, it's, it's territorial, <laughs> you know. You, you can't leave to go to the bathroom. That's that's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, it's very difficult. Once you're kind of locked into place, sometimes it's very hard to get out because you're in an area where I can't leave during the competition because there's no way to get out. I have to cross the court to do that or something. It, it's so, it's, so you can just be there and just going, oh, this is going to be a long day, <laughs> you know, <or> whatever. <laughs> Which also means you usually can't get food either. So you're kind of honestly, I know this sounds like a nightmare. My wife would always say, don't tell people these bad stories about the Olympics. You know, tell them the things <laughs> they want to hear, like how unbelievable it is to be there. So yeah. maybe I should even just remind people, <laughs> it is the most extraordinary experience to photograph the Olympic Games. If you ever, if you're a photographer out there and you ever get a chance to do that, if it ever comes your way, 
you will work harder than you will ever work in your life. It's 18 days doing three Super Bowls per day. That's how Peter Reed Miller from Sports Illustrated described it one time. And wow. that is absolutely true. It's like shooting three Super Bowls per day for 18 days straight. You don't wow. sleep. You get about three, four hours of sleep each night. Um, and then you're just up, going, traveling. You try and hit three venues a day. And you will work so hard. You will be exhausted. You'll probably get sick at the end of it, mm-hmm. um, you know, with exhaustion. And you'll never feel better about anything you ever did because it's just so exciting and it's so rewarding. And it, it's just, I mean, every day you just see history being made. Yeah. Three times a day you see history being made. How, when do you get to do that? And gold medals going by. I mean, photographing Michael Phelps, what an unbelievable opportunity that was. I mean, yeah. it's just, just to see Phelps, you know, go by, you know, and, and a couple of, I shot him in two Olympics. But, you know, it's just unbelievable. He is unbelievable. I, yeah. I just, I, I just can't even say enough about an athlete and he's a nice guy he's a super nice guy um as are i'd say the vast majority of olympians they're great to work with not the professional players aren't but they're in a different category they you know they have money involved now they have and not that like someone like an olympian doesn't have endorsement money and so forth but a lot of it is designated as I could be wrong because I haven't done the Olympics for, you know, some years now, but it used to be called Operation Gold. You know, that was money used for training and, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and all your travel and things mm-hmm. like that. It all went into the training. It wasn't to go out and buy a Ferrari, right. you know. Um, and uh, it's it just these these athletes are just terrific. It They're just like great it, to work with. It sounds like great in many ways you're really, uh, as a photographer who's in that Olympic scene, you're really getting a chance to develop a relationship with the athletes, yes. which is different from the professional world. Very much so. Yeah. yeah. There are certainly people, I mean, like Walter Yost, I mean, he had just such a great relation, you know, with, with Michael Jordan and so forth. Best yeah. picture ever, Michael Jordan, yeah. you know, Neil Leifer was Muhammad Ali. Yeah. I mean, he just, you know, yeah. His he, work was, he was practically a sparring partner. Yeah. With Ali, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> His work like, is amazing. There's no question. And there, so there were those times and those professional athletes did have some photographers that followed very closely and had good relationships and so forth. But the Olympians are, you know, they're just more, they're more open. They're, 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 they're enjoying life on, you know, the outside and you sometimes get to enjoy it as well along with them. That's where Michelle Kwan sort of comes in. I knew her probably better than anyone else worked with her right from, 11 years old, right to where she uh, had a press conference in 2006 in Torino and said, I won't be able to compete because of injury. It just, ugh, just kills, it killed me. You know, yeah, it just I killed, can see you know, it broke your heart. Yeah, it just, you know, and she just, you know, we crossed paths in the, in the hallway. She, of course, the athletes are always, you know, guided away from everybody, you know, rightfully so. Right. You know, she comes out one place. And I just happened, and she, her agent at the time, just happened to bring her down a little different hallway. And I ended up going down that hallway and we just sort of, she had to keep moving and I, you know, and, and like we just crossed paths, just looked at each other and it was just like, you know, like the big, big eye, yeah. you know, tear things coming out. And I just, oh, I just like broke. I just really did. She was and is just such an extraordinary. So you, you find really yourself is. vested with yeah. a lot of these, these athletes. I mean, yeah. you, you really... Can yeah. can you <laughs> can you be on the sidelines, kind of cheering on people when you have to photograph them at the same time? You know, because you can't like let that show really. But no, yeah, are you, you can't pull, let it, are you, you pulling for people? 
Am I pulling for people? Yeah. Yeah. Pulling for country. people I know. Come on, right? Yeah. Well, I, he's, I, he <laughs> just, it doesn't matter. I mean, yeah. he's developing relationships with athletes America, from all over the world. America. Yeah. 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 Yeah, you, yeah. You know, I wanted to see M- Michelle win, you know. Yeah. And then when she, you know, put her hand down in Salt Lake City. Yeah. Um, I think it was a triple loop. She put her that. hand down, you know, and I just remember just, you know, ah, that's it. It's over. You know, I just knew it. You know, that that's it. It's not, it's not going to happen. Um, it's, it's, you're, you're, you're pulling for them, but like you say, you can't cheer. You know, the NFL, um, uh, field access pass that you, you, you got, you know, the first one I got, the last sentence on it said, you're a member of the media, please act like one <laughs> as opposed to, you're not a fan. You're not a fan. That's yeah. exactly what it was saying. You're yeah. not a fan. And I, I think that has changed a little bit in the, in, in, in recent years. I think there are more folks that have a job during the week, but then they maybe shoot NFL football or college football on the weekends or something like that, which is great. Mm-hmm. I have no problem with that at all. I think it's exciting for them, you know, and, and et cetera. But I, I think there are more there are more fans that are there than media. I, you know, that's a really good question. I don't know if, like, Neil Leifer was ever uh, a fan of sport. I think he was just an absolutely remarkable photographer, and that's where I'd put all those guys. I don't know if they were really fans of sport at all. I enjoy sports. I enjoy athletes is what I enjoy, and the kind of things they do, the shapes they make with their bodies as they do things, their muscularity, their their emotion, and mm-hmm. all those things. Um, but I probably wouldn't go – like rugby. Let's just say I looked at a guy's portfolio here at Photoshop World yesterday. Unbelievable rugby. Mm-hmm. Great rugby. John Ashton is his name. And I thought, this guy's got really nice rugby, you know. And I go, I never see rugby, you know, in America, you know. (laughs) And I just thought, gosh, you know, I wonder if he, and he's obviously a fan of rugby. And Mm -hmm. he's their fan of rugby. I think in years past, it might have just been, I'm there covering rugby because I'm hired to take pictures of rugby, you know. Um, Is rugby in the Olympics? No, but I wish it was. It would be great. (laughs) So are there sports that you have never gotten to photograph that you would love to or athletes that you you pined away like, "Ah, I've never, never gotten to photograph that guy? Yeah, you know, someone, I've heard that asked before, you know, it's like, what would be your kind of dream thing to do or whatever? Is there something you haven't done? Um, I would love to uh, cover like a whole season of Formula One (laughs) because it's just so special spectacular you know yeah. in every sense of the word i mean that kind of speed and the, mm-hmm. the the fame the money that's involved the crowds the you know it's a fashion show at the same it's, time yeah, it's, it's, it's like death defying you know um uh, it's a fashion show Oh, oh God! The, the fashion mo- show of cars. <laughs> no, and people and too. People, the, the people oh, dress them out. The, yeah. the money that Dressed is behind out, F1, sure. is Monaco, on Yeah, I would see Monaco. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's great stuff. Yeah. You know, I think um, I would would have loved to have done um, like uh, yachting, like like an America's Cup yacht thing or something like that, yeah. from like a helicopter one day and then a boat the other day. Or yeah. That would have been cool too. You know, right. but that wasn't my forte. You know, there were other other photographers that were. Uh, did that for a living or and or were embedded into that sport mm-hmm. you know that's i think the the ticket you know people i say you know how do you get good at this how do you how do you, how do, you do that you know? and i think uh, you know you you want to work at a sport hard enough long enough that you get trusted by the athletes by the federation by the coaches and so forth that they know you're going to do a good job you're going to make good pictures of you know Stacy Miller or whoever it might be, you know, or something, and and that you're you're not out there to try and take a picture of her when she's down and, and 
has a torn right. knee or something like that. You're there to make them look their best. And that was always how I went in. That was part of sort of the guarantee I think people got from me. Um, when USA Swimming or USA Gymnastics or, you know, whatever, the federations and the U.S. Olympic Committee would hire me to do things, is that they knew that I would show the athlete in the absolute best light. I wasn't there to – it's reactionary if they get injured. It's a right. reactionary thing as a, a photojournalist to take that picture, but that isn't why I was really there. I was there to make them look absolutely as best as they could going over that hurdle. Isn't that part of the story, though? If they get hurt and the, you know they're brokenhearted, and you, you know Tanya Harding comes in with a billy club. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> we're back to that one. Are we? It's like a void. We've gone, we've gone low it's again. You know, let's put the microphones on the ground. We're going down. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, it is. It's part of the business, and it was the hardest part of the business. And I'll tell you, and I'll get back to Michelle Kwan on this. Yeah, she was. I mean, you know how this all works out, right? The skater skating backwards to do like a triple loop. Uh, axles, you're coming in forwards to it. Right. Most of the other jumps, you're actually going back as you're going backwards. I'm at one end of the rink. Michelle Kwan is now going away from me. Mm -hmm. I can see her face, and she's like going backwards because I know here comes the like triple loop combination that's near the end of the program, right. you know. And I see that she's just ever so slightly tilted, just ever so slightly. Um, and my experience throughout sport, you just and especially you figure skating, you just yeah. start realizing it's going to be hard to land squarely if you're already off access. You know, you're right. already kind of a little off access. And I just thought to myself, I don't think she's going to make it. You know, I'm in my mind, right. I'm just thinking, and I have like a, a 600 with a converter on it, and I'm actually, which is too tight for the triple loop itself, but it was prepared for if she missed. And she did put her hand down. And there's the picture, 2002, you know, Salt Lake City, right, right. behind her. So you know exactly where it's at. Right. Here's all the other photographers looking right at her. And down she goes, ice chips flying, and her hand is squarely on, on the ice, and it just killed me. They didn't use it. Really? No. They used a picture of Rick Rickman's from a higher vantage point, which Why? was a spectacular picture. I don't know. I never asked Kelly, but I looked at it, and I thought it was terrific picture yeah and i was so glad that it didn't get published you know every photographer wants their work published but i never liked having my pictures published if it was showing an athlete in, in a bad life. failure I, I just yeah. i just never liked that it's part of the job so you do it and it's there for them and i try my best to get a good picture of that but it, it's it's it was always difficult and i was always glad if they didn't run it right <laughs> you know? and in that case i was very glad because i could go up to michelle and you know it wasn't my shot you know i was always glad that when she had see it <laughs> i didn't it's make it not look bad me. Michelle. yeah right. it's not me let's so. talk a little bit about the equipment because it's mm -hmm. changed a yeah. lot um and i'm also really curious i i, I don't i guess you've heard about the new sony uh, A9 that came out. We can't talk about that, Rob. Sure we can, because it's technology, <laughs> and it, it may wind up in, in other cameras. Have you, did you hear about this in the next couple of days? You know, I, I honestly don't know much about the Sony. Yeah. Uh, I, I know they're making great advances. They're, right. uh, you know, obviously extremely competitive, you know, right. at this point and so forth, and, but, and people are using it, but I to be it, perfectly honest, I don't know that much about it's it. It's interesting. They just came out with a new camera that has two sensors, and it can mm -hmm. shoot 20 frames a second. Mm -hmm. um, it's continuous, which is kind of crazy. But I'm definitely interested in the evolution of the gear that you saw. Obviously, mm -hmm. um, 
you move from, from film to digital, but what about the lenses too, in, in terms of the weight and the things that you had to carry? Cause that's another thing that's really tough for you guys. You're carrying a 600 millimeter with teleconverters. You've got a lot of equipment that's strapped around you all the time. Right. And this is, uh, this it's not is, easy on the body. It's not it? easy on the body, especially a, a tall, thin guy like me. It's like <laughs> too much junk on the back. Um, you know, there's a big difference in, uh, in, in, in lenses. It's one of the reasons why I went with Nikon in the first place. I started with Nikon and still use Nikon. I have always used Nikon. Um, and it, it, it's the quality of the glass in Nikon uh, lenses has always just been spectacular. Yeah, their glasses. Um, a lot gorgeous. of people don't know it, but you can go, um, you can have like your eyeglasses, you know, can be Nikon lenses. Right. You know, a lot of people don't realize that it's that precision. Um, so I've always felt like they're, you're out there to get the best quality possible. That's why you'd strove an arena to get better quality, you know, back in the uh, the day when mm -hmm. there wasn't high ISOs, that sort of thing. Um, and so uh, they are also lightest, uh, lighter uh, than, than, than Canon. Um, that was an advantage. And when I skied a lot, you know, 40 days a year skiing with a backpack, you know, stuff is really tough. You carry a, a 400 and a 600, two bodies, you know, 10, 15 rolls of film, whatever, extra batteries, lots of hand warmers and all these right. kinds of things, you know, it's like it really starts adding up weight-wise when you're trying to ski down the downhill course. That, that is one of the perks. <laughs> Makes you faster. <laughs> one of the perks. I know. One of the, I was actually going to say, that's true. Yeah, you got the downhill <laughs> inertia thing going. Um, one of the perks of, you know, working ski events is that you get to look at the course. You can't ski directly down and go through a gate, but you can skirt everything, you know, off, off to the side. You basically can go down the downhill course. So I've skied down, to, you know, the downhill course, at, you know, the Olympics and That's World Championships cool. and stuff. Taking it is, any jumps? It is a real treat. Taking it's any jumps? Treat. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not a that was no. no. I am a championship side slipper, you know. I mean, it, <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> over there. Um, but it's really, it's just one of the great things, you know. I mean, shooting sports, you basically, you know, if it's your job making a living at it, you know, you have a better than front row seat at the greatest sporting events in the world, and you get paid for it. Yeah. I mean, what could be better in life? I mean, yeah. really, I mean, it's just it's pretty, pretty cool. Pretty, pretty Podcasting. <laughs> You're right. I'm thinking, of, I'm thinking of changing careers right now. You know, I'm kind of all behind this. So, uh, yeah. Dave, I think you are the fifth Nikon ambassador we've had on the show, and we've asked everyone. Really? Yeah. Photoshop world. Wow. How? Uh, not a Photoshop no, no. world. Oh, oh, in, yeah. in, the, in the whole show's the whole uh, existence. Okay. How did that come about, and how did you become one of their ambassadors? That's really good. You know, I'm glad you asked. Um, I'm not exactly sure, other than I think they were looking for. I mean. It just came out of the blue. I mean, if I can at least answer, you know, what's yeah. the short answer there? Yeah, it was just, I was sort of stunned. Um, uh, some people say, oh, why are you stunned? You know, you've been shooting Nikon forever and you're stunned. I'm thinking, yeah, because I'm old. You know, I mean, that's why, you know, I'm thinking, I don't, don't they want young people in there? Like the cutting edge, the new guys, people working for Red Bull, you know? Right. And I thought, wow, they're coming to me and I'm like 65. Um, it's, that, it was just great. It was a really great phone call. I, and and I, I just distinctly remember uh it was mike carrado at, at nikon mm -hmm. and he called and he said hey i want to talk to you about something and he kind of just whoosh, out it comes and i go could could you repeat that again i just want to make <laughs> sure i heard that i mean that's a, my exact words because yeah. i was very surprised um it's a real honor there's no doubt about it um they're looking for a total package type person i think they, the the ambassador core or if you want to call it there's about 20 of us now it just they're remarkable people, not just as photographers, but they're just great people. They really care a lot about the industry. 
not just about getting their own picture and their own livelihood sort of. They, most, I think all of them teach trying to pass it on, play it forward, you know, pay it forward rather, uh, that sort of attitude. Um, yeah, they're, they're great people to work with. ICON is a great organization to work with. I've always been impressed by how many people who work at Nikon, and I don't mean just like a technician person or a salesperson. I'm talking about everyone I've ever worked with at Nikon. They're all very accomplished photographers. A lot of them have come from the military. They were military photographers. It was a very hard work, very difficult conditions to work in and so forth. They came from the military and they were doing photography there. Mark Subin uh, is a good example of that. He runs the NPS, the mm -hmm. Nikon Professional Services. And he was military, you know, and, um, you know, that is tough work. You know, that's a So he wasn't just a salesperson or something. He's a good salesperson. Well, let's have him do it, you know, or whatever. No, I mean, he's an accomplished photographer. Ron Tanawaki. Ron Tanawaki never shows his images. He never he shows goofy ones, you know, like fun yeah. stuff, you know, people smoking cigars like at, you know, Cape Canaveral, you know, or something like that while the space shuttle's going off or something, <laughs> you know. But his portfolio is like ridiculously impressive. And he doesn't show it. No. What does he do with it? I don't just know. Just keeps it. It's just know. on his iPad, you know, or whatever. And he like wings through it once in a while. And you go, stop, stop, stop. Who's that? How did you get that picture of whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And he, um, I've known Ron forever since about 1983. He's a terrific, but all of them are. Brian Ajo, great photographer, you know. Um, these guys, these ladies, Charlie Douglas, great photographer. She's super, super. She sold me my first uh, Nikon camera when I took my, when I, left coaching i used to be a coach right and uh gymnastics believe it ah. anyone done a cartwheel here raise your hand okay. <laughs> not successfully um, unsuccessful. <laughs> we could try right now and uh coach, coach me through a cartwheel right now there you go <laughs> right. which way do you swing a baseball bat right you're righty yeah okay that means your left foot's forward go ahead swing around <laughs> <laughs> i kind of want to try it <laughs> we'll get some video going yeah mj start rolling just kidding <laughs> yeah, it's one of those wild things. I was coaching. I was a gymnast all growing up. Started about 888, all through high school, all through college. So I was an NCAA competitive athlete. And um, so I coached when I got out of college, you know, instead of going into graphics design, which was, you know, my major, I thought mm -hmm. I'm going to go coach for a couple of years. Besides, you know, um, just seemed like a nice break from intensity of school, right. <laughs> you know, let's just go out and have some fun. So I went out, coached, and I was still taking pictures, you know, and take pictures of the kids at the competitions. I'd hand out prints to the, you know, to the girls or whatever, you know. And then, uh, you know, 1980, I got a call. I'm standing in the gym, you know, you just picture the situation. You know, 300 girls in leotards all running, cartwheeling around, you know, and I'm in the gym. And I get a, you know, guy that owns the gym says, hey, you got a phone call. You know, I get the phone, and it's the U.S. team. So think of it like the, like the, Office of the New York Yankees is called. And George Costanza is talking to you. Do you want to come do that? No, anyway. So he, <laughs> and he just, uh, you know, we, ah, we, your, your work is, we've seen your prints and stuff. And I said, he said, um, we were really looking for a photographer to contract out for four years from 1980. The boycott Summer Olympics, right? Mm -hmm. 80 was boycotted. That was Moscow. Boycotted. Jimmy Carter, we are not going, right? We're not going. <laughs> And it's like, everybody's up in arms. And so they said, would you be willing to leave coaching 
and come work for us on a permanent basis and just be our photographer. We, we're going to start a magazine for the for the for the team. We're going to have you know press. We have to have um, press kits of all the athletes pushing into. This is their first really push as a public relation uh, division of USA Gymnastics. The, mm body. It seems like primitive, doesn't it? Like, didn't they already have that? No. None of those federations had anything like that in 1980. But they all knew when 1984 was coming in Los Angeles, this was going to be a big, big, and, and all of a sudden the media thing started pushing. You also have to keep in mind that ESPN had just started up just a few years earlier, 1976, I believe. What a what a dumb idea that was, right? <laughs> twenty four hour sports, sports on TV. Who's gonna watch for twenty four <laughs> hours a day? You know. So there, you know, the other key factor, Title Nine. Do you know what Title Nine is? Nope. No, we turned to the lady on this one. Well, no, she's Canadian that, too. So oh, okay, yeah. there you go. And I'm not. I don't know Title Nine. Yeah, Title Nine. That'd be sort of the e- I know Title Eight. I know Title Eight real well. Title Nine. No. Okay. <laughs> 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 Title IX basically is sort of an equality sort of uh, uh, law of equal, you know, if you have, you know, 20 athletes at your university that are scholarshiped, you know, that are men, or you have to have 20 that are women. That's an easy way to think of it. In other words, okay. trying to kind of equal it out. And so thus trying to raise up um, equality for women, thus raising up athletics for women. I mean, try and name athletes before like 1980 or yeah, eighty-four. Some of the try and name female athletes before that. That's a very small list, you know. It, it seems yeah, ridiculous. An, doesn't it, it? Yeah, it's an interesting part yeah. of history when you think She's, about it. Do you go think to that's 19, why... Go to nineteen eighty-four, and from nineteen eighty-four on, all of a sudden, there's a lot of female, and it just grows and grows and grows. Today, in the last three Olympics, and I'm pretty sure I'm correct on this, the ladies win more medals yeah. than the men. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's why the U.S. women's mm-hmm. soccer team is just like dominant? Yeah, sure. Because yeah. other countries don't have those same standards for women. Every, everything got put into place, and like it Canada. just builds and builds and builds. You know, yeah. <laughs> we don't win anything <laughs> yeah. in soccer. Come on, no. <laughs> way too cold. Give us yeah. hockey, though. <laughs> Your soccer fields are never not covered in snow. I mean, there's always snow. In we here. have indoor soccer fields. Come on, <laughs> we use our our sled dogs to take us to practice. There you go. <laughs> I love it. Is there what women's ice hockey? Great answer. I love that answer. To be honest, I'm not the right person to ask. Probably. But I, Will, I there are women's the women's ice hockey in the Olympics. Does that exist? Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. Is, is Canada good? Yeah, yeah. Silver medal on the first. Uh, the first. I, boy, I, I'm almost positive because the U.S. won was at 1980. No, I'm sorry, 1998. Nagano, uh, the gold medal uh, championship game was USA versus Canada. And I remember that women's? actually. Yeah. I, t- I remember very close. That's that one of the few things in the Olympics that, that was I've... a great. great but we did game. win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cami yeah. Cami Granado was the uh, was the captain. Right. I think of the women's team. One of the captains. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cats versus dog. Canada versus U.S. It was yeah. it was yeah. the same thing over and over. I tell you, I didn't do uh, any prof- very little professional hockey, but I did get to shoot, you know photograph Wayne Gretzky at the Olympics, and unbelievable. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if anyone ever skated like Gretzky. What finesse and I've, skill. I've seen him play a few games. Unbelievable. Yes. Unbelievable. He's yeah. a little dude, too. Yeah. He is, he's yeah. He's a yeah. small guy. He, he, he is like Scooter Deluxe. <laughs> <laughs> he gets around. So. Yeah, we had uh, Gretzky in St. Louis one season, right? Yeah, he's actually moving back. 
to St. Louis. Get the F out of here. Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. Gretzky's going to live in St. Why? Yes, he's got a house. Uh, family. They've got family there. And, um, yeah, long story. Yeah. Let's somehow befriend Wayne Gretzky in St. Louis. We can do that. Everybody yeah. needs a good friend in St. Louis. Small <laughs> town. Yeah, we can do that. All right, 2017 I, 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 I know, goals. I know a pathway into that. Yeah, 2017 goals. <laughs> That's cool. So these, I, these are the things that sort of like blend in, you know, to, to a career. You yeah. know, no, no, no man or woman is, a, is an island, so to speak. There's other people involved and, and so forth. Um, and it, in my case, I think some of the events that occurred, the Title IX, ESPN, um, making sports much more visible, you know, I'm not sure that any photographer's career would have been you know, got exploded as quickly as mine did. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was only in two and I was, a, you know, I wasn't a photographer. I was a coach. Then I became a photographer. You know, I, I took the job, took the job with the storm you. for yeah. you. I mean, it being was. a coach and exactly. something you absolutely loved and taking pictures because you just loved it. And yeah. then blammo, you get this yeah. amazing job. I was not a photographer. I had a one class in college, you know, at the university to fulfill the graphics design major, one black and white class. So I just followed up, was making pictures and so forth, right. having a good time with it. And then, you know, on a Wednesday, I get the phone call. On a Friday, I moved to Texas, where the U.S. Gymnastics Federation was at the time, USA Gymnastics. On Saturday, I bought my equipment from Charlie Douglas, who, you know, works mm-hmm. for Nikon now, right? So mm-hmm. I've known her my whole career. The following Wednesday, I was in Madison Square Garden, and Nadia Comaneci is like walking in. Holy cow. You know, that was my first competition. <laughs> Did it blow your mind? Now, if that just doesn't, you know, yeah. I mean, if that isn't like divine intervention, I don't know what right. is. You know, I mean, how else does something like that really happen? And that's that kind of, like you said, a perfect storm and all that added up. And, you know, women exploding on the scene as far as being great athletes and all the, the things that they can do and all different sports, colleges, universities, all picking up sports programs for the ladies. All that changed the whole face of sport in, in America and I think around the world as well. I'm sure, you know, other countries got on board with the same kind of thing. It's really fascinating how many photographers, particularly sports photographers, um, are, are out there that they started in the sport first mm-hmm. they, their interest started outside sure. of photography completely and then you know it turned into a documentation and then all of a sudden these amazing careers you know appear from them i think it's really fascinating right i think one of that's one of those key points it's like when you know a lot about your subject whether it's a sport or like my daughter will go she does wedding photography and and, and families and so forth she meets with the family she meets with the bride and groom she finds a little something about them learns about what do they want when you know something about the subject then you can make better pictures if you you know if you know your hometown uh, uh, um, politicians real well you probably have an inroad you know to get to get better pictures than them if you're the the team photographer for the University of Iowa you probably get to go into the the locker room area to take pictures, whereas I would not. I'm not even from there. So you have special access. That kind of, I, I think I use the term being embedded. That makes such a big difference because then you, you're embedded. You know the sport. Everybody trusts you. You just start getting better pictures. And I think it comes out of the love or of the sport or that you were involved in it in, in maybe your college or university days or something. And then, and then once you have that, then you establish a name, you get, you get like a foundation. And then it's like, well, if you can do this, then can you do this? Mm-hmm. You know, I had never shot horse racing, but, or I'd never shot golf, but, uh, the editor, the picture editor at golf digest magazine heard me uh, do a, a presentation on the Kentucky Derby, you know, like a, a document, a 
documentary on the Kentucky Derby, start to finish, you know, 5 a.m. to like 7 p.m. kind of a thing. And he goes, could you do that for us at the Masters this year? Now, I hadn't shot really any golf before, and all of a sudden, wow, you know, the pinnacle of the sport is being handed to me on a gold platter now, you That's know? Cool. And it's like, sure, yeah, I can do that. And it was just great. Did like a six-year run where I did, you know, a couple of three majors each year, and, and, and you know, it's fantastic, you know, Did you really study a lot of uh, a lot of the subject before you went into it, you know, really try to understand golf, or did you just kind of like show up and go into the fire, let's see how it goes? You're so great. That was <laughs> such a great question. No, and that is not like me at all, because I want to know everything about it. I want to know as much about it as possible before I go in. But I had specific orders from Matt Janella, who was the picture editor at Golf Digest, and he goes, I don't want you looking at a book or a magazine or a photograph of Augusta National before you get to it. I want it totally new to you. He said, I have six photographers that will come in, uh, four, four photographers that will come in, they have gone to the, they've been to Augusta and the Masters, you know, a dozen times. They've seen it all. They know it like the back of their hand. I want you to come in fresh with a fresh look. And so I came in and I subsequently produced pictures that they hadn't seen either in years or years or maybe ever before. And they thought, where is this coming from? The first picture I took was a golf ball. <laughs> on a tee. <laughs> like an 800 millimeter lens, you know, and it's just right. like, you know, the golf on the tee, you know, and the professional golfers, they'll put like a, you know, stripe on it or whatever, and maybe right. even their initials sometimes, you know, there'll be something on there, you know, so you can see that it's marked, it's competitive and so forth. And so Matt kind of gets it, comes across the computer and he just goes, oh, <laughs> golf ball, are you kidding me? You know, it was like a two page spread. You know? <laughs> it was so great. He goes, who would have known? He said, everybody loved it because That's it was cool. just, it is what golf is, you know, kind of. He said, no, no one else would have ever thought of doing that. But I thought, wow, look at that beautiful light. And it was a beautiful shaft of light, you know, hitting it. So it was remarkably dramatic. And it was just a golf ball. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just, I, every day I would produce stuff like that. And they, and just, and of course it was everything from Tiger to Phil. That was uh, 2004, the year Phil Mickelson won, which is very exciting. Um, you know, the big jump, you know, from yeah, Phil yeah, Mickelson yeah, to like right. two inches off the ground. Um, <laughs> but there it was, you know, and I had it, you know, the other, go the other photographers were on the other side of him cause he was left-handed. They were on the other side and they had his back. I had his, you know, the front of him. And so it was, it's just funny how things like that kind of, it kind of end up working out, you get embedded in one thing and it just moves along and moves along and moves along to another sport, another thing. There was a Vogue photographer once that somebody had asked him, um, you know, how do you, how do you shoot great fashion? How do, you, how do you photograph that? You know, how, what is the secret to photographing great fashion? Tell us. And he said, go to fashion school. He said, understand fashion, understand how to build the clothing, and then you'll understand how to photograph it well. I think in this, you know, that speaks very loudly to exactly what you're talking about. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, you want to know something, go to a practice session. How did you get to be such a good figure skating photographer? I just went to the practices. I watched it. I took notes. I used to draw, like, you know, patterns of where the programs would go. I knew where everything was. I mean, you know, I'd watch video. You can predict you know. where they're going to be then. Exactly. Sport is something that is not without controversy. You know, mm -hmm. when it, particularly... Controversy, Rob. It's controversy. <laughs> controversy. You talk about the, the money involved, um, <laughs> drugs involved, whatever. I mean, there, there is a lot that goes on in sport. Sure. Um, but there have been some great advancements, and you talked about them. Title IX, uh, things like um, ESPN coming in and giving it different kind of coverage. What do you think sport needs today? to push it forward with having your career in, in sport. What do you think it needs? ESPN, would... the Ocho. <laughs> That's already in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> let me, 
let me answer that by backing up just a little bit. Uh, photographer uh, does a lot of work for Red Bull. Maybe you know his name, Lucas Gilman. I yeah. Know. Yeah. Um, he was my assistant for a few years and uh, super, super photographer today. Guy, so good. Um, and he said, you know, your thing has been the Olympic Games. What's my thing going to be? In other words, he was saying, he was looking. you're doing the Olympics and so right. forth. Should I do the Olympics? Or what would I, you know, start looking at to be like maybe when I just went. And I remember I held my arms up, my forearms, and made an X. And I said, anything with an X in front of it. And this was like, oh, God, this is uh, 12, 13, 14. It's like, you know, 15, 16 years ago. Something like, in other words, there were no X games at the time, really. But I knew that extreme sports, you know, things that were extreme, that's what's coming. And I realized that, that not that the Olympics were, I wasn't suggesting the Olympics were old and dead or gone or something like that, but I just knew there was a new era coming. There were new, there were kids growing up doing skateboard, doing by doing these other sports, their sports, their generation, these, you know, kayaking, you know, and the extreme sport era kind of was beginning. And he, and Lucas was like kind of at the beginning of it, um, you know, Corey Rich, rock climbing. Yeah, we know Corey. Yeah. He's a great guy. And yeah. he, he, what foresight, you know, to to be able to 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 just be the guy. He was like the guy for rock climbing and so forth. You know, Patagonia, just you know, all the ads, Patagonia ads, all Corey and stuff. Um, that's the the. So what's coming next? Oh, and so, that's not a, so much a, what's coming next. What does sport need to help protect it to make it better? Like things like Title IX that actually elevated oh, all of sport. Oh, oh, what, what, does, what does okay. sport need that will help um, advance it, protect it, make athletes better? Because we don't know where it's going. There's so much crazy stuff that happens in sports. That's why I was saying there's so much controversy around it. And I was just wondering from somebody who's been surrounded by it and seen the advancements of things like Title IX, what do you think it needs? More love. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Yeah. I'm serious. You know, I think that Bobby Jones, I think, said, you know, money will ruin this sport. Now, I don't know if money ruined golf particularly, but you have to look at, you know, what Jones was saying. You know, he was the amateur of all amateurs, you know, to win, you know, um, the Grand Slam and so forth in golf. Um, the have you ever watched Peyton Manning's farewell address? It's no. 20 minutes long when he retired. Every, every coach should have that uh, and play that for their athletes at least once a year. What's he say? It's just, that's unbelievable. I, I, it's just everything. It's just everything an athlete. It's the, the, <laughs> I'm not saying he's the perfect athlete. He certainly has his, you know, everybody's, he's human. He has flaws and stuff, but it is just, you know, how you conduct yourself, how you train, how you work, your work ethic, how you treat people, you know, how you answer the letters, you know, answer the mail that people send you, you know. Um, if it's overwhelming, then you have people help you out and answer and just give them the answers, right? You know, it's just, um, you can, it's just Google it, just Peyton, mm -hmm. Peyton Manning retirement, you know, uh, press conference or whatever speech. Um, it's, that's what sport needs. And I think I think it would be hard for very many athletes to say, oh, Peyton Manning, he was a hack. You know, I mean, it's like no one's going to say that. Everybody knew how hard he worked, how much he studied, how much he – I mean, he was over the top on a lot of things. And while physically he started, you know, he started breaking down, mm -hmm. whereas like T 
Tom Brady still seems to be like young. They're only one year apart. It's just so remarkable. You know, Brady's only one year younger, I think, than 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 Peyton. But in you know, physique wise, you know, mm-hmm. it seemed like uh, um, certainly the injuries and so forth, the neck injury and, and, and everything to Peyton was pretty catastrophic. Amazing that he came and played came back. At all. Yeah, I mean, unbelievable. And I think to just hear that kind of, you know, and maybe I'm just too true blue. You know, sorry, wave the American flag with the Canadian flag if you're up there, right? That's cool, that's and, cool. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm in the land of the, oh, of, of the, <laughs> the red, white, and blue. Okay. Um, <laughs> just you feel like the flag should be like unfurling behind Manning while he's talking about this thing. It is really a great yeah. speech. And I'm sure if you didn't, if you were outside of Denver, you probably didn't watch it or anything. But I was, you know, having lunch with Ron Tanawaki. I was mm-hmm. having lunch, lunch with Ron. We were on a, a photo shoot, took a lunch break, and there, and it came on the TV. And the, the guy in the restaurant went over and flipped the channel. And I, like, jumped out of my seat. And I said, put that back, you know. <laughs> and it just played. And we watched this thing. It was just, it was terrific. It just had everything. This is what an athlete should be. It had I compassion think. and humility. Yeah. yeah. And it's just there. And I'm thinking, it's not that athletes are tainted. They, they, they have their reasons for being fussy, <laughs> you yeah. know. Um, if you haven't seen the... The Ron Howard documentary on the Beatles, the touring years. No, not yet. I'm dying to see that. Watch, dying to see that. Watch that, and that'll tell you a lot yeah. about it because it, ta- it just how exciting it was at first. You know, they're being chased by everybody. All the girls are screaming or whatever. Right. And at the end, they're just like, you know, they don't even want to be the Beatles anymore. So they, you know, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Club's band. You know, right. that's what they want to be. You know, they're tired of being the Beatles because it was just too much. And I'm thinking, so you can see how athletes get the same way, you know, just like a rock star. Mm-hmm. Athletes are entertainers now. You know, it's an entertainment industry. And nobody knows that better than the still photographer who has to contend with television. When you go to a televised event, you have to re- remember, you know, how come we're way back here and TV's up there? Because they pay millions of dollars. It's a, it's, an, it's a show. It's a show. It's an entertainment show to television. To us, it's a competition. That's a great point. It's a, it's a game. It's a competition. To TV, it's entertainment. That's what they're doing. It's the modern coliseum. Yep. With the gladiators. Yep. And so we're, you know, you as a still photographer, you're very much aware of this idea. And you, you know, you go to a figure skating event, you know, I went first figure skating event too. I wore all black. Why? Because I saw on television that they had a black curtain all around the arena on the back. And I thought if I blend in, TV won't care whether I'm there or not. And they were chasing other photographers out of a particular area. And I just stuck around because I looked exactly like they did. They were all dressed in black too, you know. Mm-hmm. In other words, you know, I had to be part of the entertainment package, <laughs> even though I wasn't working for right. TV. And so I, I can see why athletes get this. You know, they don't want to talk. They don't want their picture taken. They don't want these kinds of things. So I think if there was some way to kind of preserve the Olympic mentality, mm-hmm. the Olympian idea of. I just love the sport so much. The Bobby Jones idea of, you know, I know no other way to play the game, you know, is where he moves the ball moves at the U.S. Open or whatever, and he calls the penalty stroke on himself and loses the U.S. Open. You know, I mean, that kind of attitude, that Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning might be the closest thing to Bobby Jones. Uh, that's You can put that in quotes for me. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't right. know. But I've, I, if you look at what Jones was doing and so forth, um, and then you look at Manning's career and then listen to that speech, I'd think 
maybe he's like a modern day Bobby Jones, except in a, in a more powerful power packed sport of, you know, collision and everything else, you know, golf and, and football course quite different, but the attitude is there. And that's what I liked about Manning. Yeah. It was a treat to be able to photograph him in his, 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 his last season. Yeah. It really was, you know, and just, any kind of athlete, Tiger Woods, love him or hate him. And I know that's, you know, there's a, you know, controversy. Yeah, a lot. And I tell you, but being able to photograph Tiger Woods in like the heyday of Tiger Woods, where Tiger and Phil were kind of going back and forth, you know, um, it was like, that would be like photographing Babe Ruth or something like that. That's how I looked at it. That's a game changer, no pun intended, but mm -hmm. it's like, you know, those people that are game changers. You know, I always thought, you know, Jordan, you know, being Jordan esque so to speak, you know, as great as Jordan was, the court is still the same size. The basket is still just the same, you know, height that it always right. was. The parameters you know, are still the same. Right. It's the know. person working within it that's changed. Right. So Jordan or LeBron? Uh, that's a tough one. That's a <laughs> tough one. Jordan, I think, just because of the gravity-defying yeah. God. He has better shoes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I guess I'd take Jordan because I photographed Jordan and, and, and only saw LeBron once. You know, I didn't, was kind of done with basketball at that point and moving on to other things. But I, uh, great athletes. Yeah. But I, I think the ones that changed the sport. Yeah. I was going to say, Jordan, Jordan changed the sport fundamentally. He brought um, new eyes to it, new attitudes to it. He fundamentally changed it. LeBron has stepped into that, and not to take anything away from LeBron, right? Because he's an amazing athlete. But Jordan was not only an amazing athlete, he changed um, the way people thought over the sport of basketball. And that's yeah. a big deal. Yeah, it's a bigger deal. Jordan is what got me even knowing that basketball was a thing. <laughs> right. You know, right. So yeah. that, you know, he's really an innovator in so many ways for, you know. Right. Yeah. The, the same way Arnold Palmer, you know, who passed away this past year, you know. Well, Arnold Palmer every, also has a drink that's awesome. So He does. Yeah. <laughs> he does. Yeah. But every, every golf is for everyone. That's how, that's what Palmer yeah. brought to it. You know, it's like golf is yeah. you know, every person's sport. Anyone can play, you know, let's all get out and play golf. That's the, the love of that game. Right. You know, listen, look up quotes and I'm not knocking Tiger Woods. He's a good guy. Yeah. He's a good guy. I don't know him. You know, it's like passing in a press conference once. Nice round. You know, yeah. thanks man. You know, like, okay, that's yeah. my conversation with Tiger. <laughs> But look up quotes by Arnold Palmer. Then look up quotes, you know, it's like brainier quotes, you know, just Google brainier quotes. Look up quotes by Palmer. Look up quotes by Tiger. It's totally different. Totally different. Completely yeah. different, you know. Um, do that with old era athletes, so to speak, and, 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 right. and, you'll, see and just, you'll see the difference in, in sort of attitude and just life in general, kind of. It's just different. And I think that's that's... I'd rather things go back. Well, Dave, you can't turn the clock backwards. Right. You know, you can't do that. Manning did. Manning turned the clock backwards. He turned it back to a, a little bit of time, a, right? a, 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 an era of just total love of the game. I think, and not that these guys don't love the game. Yes, they love the game. They all they do. That's why they're there playing it. You know, but at the same time, it 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 it's not carried on their sleeve as as heartily as it used to yeah. be. Maybe I don't know. Do you That's think, just my do you think the role of sponsors, though, kind of changes the way that they can express, you know, their love of the sport? Because a lot of the times, as soon as you, I mean, being an icon ambassador, you might be able to speak to this. Um, when you represent a brand and a series of brands and all of a sudden those brands are paying you millions of dollars, what you can say and what you speak is often very controlled. 
Do you think that kind of influences a little bit, maybe? Sure. I mean, I, I think so. That's a good. That's a really good point. Because like sponsored athletes, you're, they're no longer an individual. You're a commodity for other businesses to make money. Right. Right. Yeah, money is the driver behind sport. There's, there's no question. And that, that's really, really changed. I think you know, as soon as mm-hmm. athletes were suddenly getting sponsored, millions and millions of dollars. That and you know that they are no longer an, a person and an identity. They are, they are a brand and a money making machine for, for literally thousands and thousands of people. They make, you know, they employ people all over the world. Be being what they are. So maybe Bobby Jones had it right. Yeah. <laughs> maybe he money did. could money could ruin. You know, I think money. I think that was a quote by his. It's like I think money money, could, will money is going to ruin golf or yeah. ruin this sport. I think is what he was referring Dave, to. So Dave. that's yeah. It, it it does change things, and it takes. I think a very. I think it takes some courage to for athletes to choose wisely who that they are going to work for and represent and so forth. And that sometimes, I mean, just you know. Go watch the movie Jerry Maguire, you know, or something like that. You realize sometimes it seems like athletes are not in control of very much stuff. So I think athletes, you know, who you choose as your agent, you know, how they're going to work with you. Um, You know, and I know there are a lot of factors. Oh, Dave, you're not taking into account that a football player's, you know, average career span is like six years or something. They have to get everything done in six years before they're too old or too injured or something like that. But still, you know, try and make good decisions and i think that's hard to do a lot of a lot of money gets kind of dangled out there there's the carrot it's pretty hard to not Especially say yes when you're 19 years old exactly <laughs> yeah they, there's a lot to be faced as a 19 year old and it's like would i do any better that's, no yeah, that's, that's a whole other conversation yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like david th- this has been a really enjoyable conversation oh, i good. think we could talk to you for hours and hours and hours we may have to have you back on another podcast because this has really been fun oh great i'm so glad Keep, uh, i had t- a great time good tell our audience where they can find your work and your books and, and information about you give okay. yourself a plug uh i do have a website it's just www.daveblackphotography.com i'm on instagram which is just at dave black photo and uh i'm very kind of educational in my approach on instagram i usually give like little photo lessons i post like four or five times a week and awesome. you know that kind of thing and there's also uh something called, you know, I have an instructional blog and uh, my own workshops, you know, a list of workshops that I'm teaching at all through the year on my website. It's easy stuff to find. Terrific. Thanks again. This has been a lot of fun. Great. Thanks for coming to Photoshop World. Thanks for having me. Thank you. (laughs) And to download this episode and the entire season, go to rggedupodcast.com. And where can people... Stitcher. Yeah, Stitcher. SoundCloud. iTunes. iTunes, the Google machine. (laughs) (laughs) Or also (laughs) on there and you can subscribe for free. So thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Okay, podcast is over. You can turn it off now. Go take some pictures or whatever you photographers do now.